Hello, and welcome to the PCA Church Leader Podcast, brought to you by the PCA Retirement and Benefits. On this podcast, we talk with a number of church leaders, pastors, elders, women's ministry leaders, administrators, campus ministers, and more. We discuss practical issues church leaders face in the course of an average week. Sermon preparation, staff meetings, time management, money issues, hiring and firing, books they're reading, and much more. Thank you for being with us today, and here's your host, Ed Dunnington. Well, uh, welcome back uh, to our podcast. We're here with Richard Pratt. We're having a great conversation about theological education and, and really uh, the learning process. That's really what we're talking about, which is uh, which is a lot of fun. Um, you know, Richard, as we've mentioned, you have been doing theological education for three and a half decades. You've been at Third Mill for uh, for uh, twenty three years now. Um, I'm curious, how has, for you all, how has the pandemic, you mentioned just before the break, the comment, uh, you don't think this is the last pandemic that that uh, we're going to experience. How has this pandemic um, changed the way that you all do your work? Um, or or has it has it done that yet in any significant way? Well, the, lar- the largest way I'd say that has impacted us is that um, people that used to come to the office every day and work together in the physical office um, now most of them are working at home and, um, we can, it's amazing what you can do now technologically, even in production and, um, even for things that you used to have to be in this particular place to use our servers, to make the lessons and that kind of thing. You don't have to be in those particular places anymore. Thanks to high speed internet. So we, we're being very successful in this, but we have, um, highly motivated people. This is something that's important to know about Third Mill. Mm. Uh, our, our staff from top to bottom is highly motivated. And so they don't work from home and just work for a couple of hours and pretend like they worked eight hours. Uh, right. They actually work it. And so we're very pleased to say that since COVID struck in terms of our production and in terms of our distribution, our numbers have gone up. I mean, they mm. have gone multiples up. And wow. um is because people who are committed can actually use these tools to do more than what they used to do. Now, I, I, my heart breaks for local church pastors and the mm. challenges they are facing and trying to figure out what to do. Um, and I'm hoping that when the next pandemic comes, we'll be better prepared in our denomination because most of our pastors were just kind of scouring around trying to figure out what in the world should I do? And right. so they did worship services online and things like that. I think there were a whole lot more exciting sorts of things you could do. And, uh, what are some of the things that you think that they could be, you know, for, you know, it's interesting that you say that. Um, one of my uh, dear friends in ministry, one of the things that they, they, he launched during this pandemic was uh, a Tuesday lunch discussion of, of the sermon. Exactly. And, and he said, you know, he goes, actually, I think that's probably something we're going to keep doing afterwards because I had no idea how positive the response was going to be. That's right. Because it's hard for guys and women to come from downtown out to the church for lunch. For him to go down there, it takes, you know, you have to have an extra 30 minutes to get to the restaurant, even if you have it in a restaurant downtown, takes another, you know, 40 minutes out of their schedule. Well, that's hard. But they just sit at their desk and eat a sandwich and they're there with you from their desk, if they can do it from their desk. Right. That's a great advantage. Um, Well, one of the things that I do believe that as you go into the virtual world with worship or with Christian education and local church, one of the things we have to do is overcome this um, personal distance that we have, one with hyper real, hyper real 
virtual experiences. That's one right. thing. And I've kind of hinted at what that might mean. Right. That's right. And Third Mill has been running lay people, small group studies ever since the coronavirus hit. And they're multiplying now. Uh, even though people are getting back to work and things, they're multiplying. But they're 45, 40 minutes long. They're short. Right. They're to the point. Uh, we have different teachers and different leaders, and they're being trained on how to do this. So this personable and people are responsive and they're praying for each other, just like probably the pastor friend you mentioned, they're doing right. it. And uh, so it's a wonderful sort of break for people, both um, especially those that are, there's a number, number of them who are housebound for right. health reasons or age reasons. And so it's, it becomes a wonderful uh, outlet for them and a great time to feed. But I do want to encourage our pastors in this respect, um, the virtual should not substitute for physical ministry, physical presence. Now, I don't mean, I don't think that means necessarily, because I don't even see this in the Bible, that if the government says that, that it's not safe for you to gather in groups of 500, uh, that you should say, heck no, we're going to do it anyway, because the Bible right. says don't forsake the assembling together one another. Okay, right. there are plenty of ways to assemble together, both virtually and physically other than coming together in one big room with 500 people that are coughing on each other. Right. Um, but, um, but I do want to say this to the pastors who might be listening to this uh, podcast. I said this to one of my pastor friends. He's in a church probably about 1,000 and probably has about 10 pastors on staff, ordained people on staff. And I said, you know, at first everyone thought this might go on for six weeks, right? Right. Six, eight weeks at the most. So the question of the Lord's Supper didn't come up that much. So he said, well, what do you think I ought to do? I said, well, if this goes on for much longer, in my opinion, what you ought to do is you ought to take sacrament to them. And he said, what do you mean? I said, you and your pastoral staff ought to visit the homes and stand outside just like you would with a shut-in who had a highly communicable disease and serve the Lord's Supper to them like you would shut-ins. Don't you do that to your shut-ins and the people in the hospital? He said, yeah, we do that. I said, well, then just do it with everybody. And he mm. said, well, that would take a lot of time. I said, yeah, of course it would. That's the idea. Right. What else are you going to do? Sit around in your office and watch Netflix? Right. Okay. So you get out there and you visit the people. You don't go in their homes. You stand outside and you pray for them. You say, what can, how can we pray for you? And you're looking at them in the eye and you pray through their picture window if you have to or through the screen door, whatever it may be. And you, right. you offer them the Lord's Supper as they may want to have it. And, um, so I think that there are ways in which we've got to become much more creative. Well, that's the way it kind of is with Third Mill, by analogy. Um, mm. Third Mill has physical learning communities all over the world that use us. One of the great advantages and then challenges that Third Mill faces is that we have had to rely a lot on virtual and decentering. That's, that's the, right. taking the Lord's Supper to the shut-ins is decentering. Is decentering, okay? right. Right. Um, so we've had to rely on virtual and decentering physical learning um, for all of our 23 years. Right. And so what, what we are actually doing, what we've actually done now is um, we are, as it were, prepared for what people are facing now. Right. Where you might have a group of five theological students in Jakarta in one suburb who really can't get on the, the subway and go over to the other suburb because they're restricted for travel, right. okay, which is true. I'm giving you a real example. So what do they do? Well, they have a mentor in their group who, um, they and they share the mentorship actually, in their physical group of four or five of them, but they rely 
for the basic information and guidance from the virtual that we provide for them. Right. In Indonesian, by the way. Okay, well, the same is true for a school in Malaysia, which is one of the few accredited, fully accredited schools in Malaysia um, that can receive Chinese students from the mainland China. And another, another school in Taiwan that does the same thing in mainland China, using third mill, but having localized learning communities right. where they get together in small groups that are acceptable and safe, and then they are able to do this. It was one, one of the most wonderful experiences we had in the early, early weeks of the Wuhan uh, virus. Now, that may not be PC to say, but they call it that, may as well, um, is that um, we received a video given to us by a, one of our mentors in Wuhan. Wuhan right. itself. And he started off in his high-rise apartment, scanning the horizon, showing the whole city under lockdown. And remember, they were welding people into their homes. They wouldn't let right. them into their homes. Right. Killing them, taking them away, and things like that. Well, he first showed us his family and went through what his kids were doing and so on and so forth. But then he switched over to his computer, and he said, this is my third meal class. We're, we meet every morning from 6 to 8 because nobody's working. We meet every morning from six to eight and we're right now doing the Apostles Creed. And so I watched them on Zoom in Chinese doing a third mill video with their mentor pastor there in Wuhan. It was about 16 people on that video. And uh, we've actually published it as on our website. And it was just wonderful to be able to see the, the ability to be flexible and yet get the job done. Right, uh, that's awesome. And I would say that that is where we've got to get as Christians uh, in our world. Now, we're very concerned about places where uh, they're, they're especially susceptible to uh, viruses and the like in places like Africa, where most Christians are. Right. <laughs> in other words, not the handful of Christians we have in America, but where most Christians are, like Asia, India, China, and Africa, and parts of Latin America. So that's what we focus on. And so we really are preparing them for this kind of thing and have been for years. Hmm. And so tell me a little bit, I mean, where do you see in the next 50 years, Third Mill as a, as a ministry, but then also, you know, we, we talked about this even briefly at the beginning, or you alluded to it. Um, where do you see the church in North America over the, the next 15 to 20 years? And, and what, what would you, what would your advice be to ruling elders and deacons and pastors in the PCA? Um, I mean, you may have already communicated it. But I mean, as you think about particularly for our denomination, yeah. um, I mean, I, you know, it, it certainly, you look at the global data and it certainly seems that the, um, the movement of the spirit has, has left the, the Northern hemisphere and is much more um, fruitful right now yeah. in the Southern hemisphere. Um, I mean, so I guess that's a two-part question. One, us, our North America and the PCA, but then the other is where, where are you all trying to go with respect to the third mill? I mean, you all, what, how many languages? 23 languages? 22 now. Yeah. 22 mm -hmm. um, languages. I mean, that's, that's remarkable. And, and in places like you've already said, right? Indonesia, Malaysia, I mean, there's right. places well, that we are, we are not planting churches. Right. There are, so, there are 44, some people say 54, but 44 so-called gateway languages. That if you reach them, you will, if you have first language speakers and second language speakers, you're reaching 92% of the earth. So we okay. 44 is our goal. Okay. Um, we were committed in the beginning to, to providing the kind of theological education you would want your pastor to have here in America to every Christian church leader in the world. 
Okay. And doing that for free. And that's still our goal. And so are you all average? How many, how many new languages are you doing it a, a year? Are you all? Uh, at this point we do basically, we, we, we are lent, we have to spick at it. And that's just a matter of money. We can do more than this, but because of money, our production team has said to us just recently, we can only do three more a year, three new ones a year. Okay. And, uh, but that's okay. We've got plenty in the hopper and plenty to do. Uh, but we just, you know, it's, it, frankly, it's a matter of money to make it, to build out the network because we're all involved now in building out the network around the world of communities that share learning with each other and things like that. All the, and the thing that they have in common with each other is the third mill curriculum. So that involves Bible schools and seminaries and local churches and missionary agencies and independent ministries and um, individuals and so on and so forth, along with third mill seminary, which sort of undergirds all of this. And, um, so it's um, the, the goal is to have a worldwide network of, of communities that use third mill curriculum as they want to use it. We don't try to control them, um, either for accredited programs or for non-accredited programs. And um, we now have, we just passed a watermark here for third mill that in the last eight years, we have served the needs of uh, over uh, now over slightly over a million students. Wow. And um, we currently have well over uh, 350,000 students around the world wow. in various forms of um, educational institutions, formal and informal. And um, we're just scratching the surface. The experts will tell you that there are 250 million of them. 250 million of them. 250 million the of... Uh, People who are ready to have the kinds of theological education you would want your pastor to have but who cannot get it in their own land. 250 wow. million of them already. And that's not even including things like that pastors die or church, you know, or they uh, right. apostate and things like that, replacing old ones, in other words. These are just new ones. Right. And uh, so the goal of Third Mill is, to, is before I die to have 100 million, pe 100 million people that we have served. Okay. So when our seminaries here in this country, sometimes they will actually come up to us and say, I hear we're competitors. <laughs> and I said, and we always say, no, we're not competitors. We want you to have a million students in your seminary. Well, none of our seminaries even come close to that, but we say right. it and we mean it sincerely. We want to help you have a million students. And they say, well, why would you want us to, why would you want to help us have a million students? We're praying for you to have a million students. Why would you pray for a million students for our seminary? And the answer of our distribution vice president is because that will mean I only have to serve 99 million. <laughs> There's no lack of opportunity. Right. Uh, the, the fields of harvest are plentiful. What's lacking right. is the willingness of harvesters to get out there and do it. Mm. And, um, and so we're very committed to that and believe that it should be done. And we are keenly focused on the places where Holy Spirit is working hard and fast because the churches are multiplying so rapidly with so little opportunity for their leaders to learn the Bible. Because right. where the church is growing the fastest in the world, there's the least opportunity for church leaders to learn the scriptures and sound theology. And so we serve all kinds of denominations. I know that's a hard thing to believe, but right. Methodist seminaries use us in Africa, fully accredited Methodist seminaries. And I say to them, when we're first talking, he said, you understand this is not a Methodist curriculum, right? He says, we don't care. We've seen it. We know what it is. It's fine. 
Baptists use us, Methodists use us, Pentecostals use us, Anglicans use us. Um, they don't care because it's Bible oriented, it's solid, right. and um, and so it's um, it's a wonderful thing. The quality of it attracts them to it. Oh wow, that's great! It is a wonderful thing. If you are a PCA pastor, what should your compensation package look like? It's a question we frequently get at PCA Retirement and Benefits, better known as RBI. That's why RBI has put together our call package guidelines. In this booklet, you'll find over 40 pages of insights to help you consider how to structure and evaluate compensation packages for church employees. Simply go to PCARBI.org forward slash compensation and get the latest version of our call package guidelines. Once again, visit PCARBI.org forward slash compensation. I mean, I know every time, every time I'm, I sit down with you and we talk about it, I, I think, man, I'm so grateful for this it's ministry. Crazy. And it's, it's just crazy. And I do wish that our schools in this country would at least take up the cause of reaching and educating church leaders here in the United States. Mm. Now, if they would go beyond that, I'd be thrilled to death. Okay. Right. But if they would just do it in the United States. Now, what would that mean, however? It would mean that the constituency of our schools would have to change. Mm. Our student bodies would change in their shape and their size and their color and their economic and educational backgrounds. And that's a hard thing to do, to be sure, but it can be done. And uh, it's a strange thing. You know, I say this to people and they don't believe it, but it's true that most pastors in our country today are not qualified to go to our seminaries. Hmm. Now you think about that for a minute. Most pastors, active pastors today in the United States of America cannot go to our seminaries because they don't have the educational qualifications for it, one. And two, even if they have that, they probably often don't have the financial ability to do it. Now, that's a travesty. Yeah, because our goal at least should be to reach these here United States of America. Right. And um, we often complain about the bad theology that we see on Christian television and how influential it is. Uh, and I complain about that, too. But I don't know how I really can complain when we don't work hard to educate the leaders of the churches in those denominations. And right. we can do that. They're, it's not like they would reject us. Some would, but it's not like they would reject us wholesale. They can do it. Now, right. you have to have people that look like them and talk like them and live right. like them, leading it and help those leaders. But that's our goal. That should be our goal. Not right. just to educate our small slice of American culture. That's a great, a, a, a great invitation for the church, uh, certainly, and, and for our seminaries to think through. What does it look like for us to do that? That's right. I mean, imagine this. You cut the fastest growing demographic of evangelicals in the United States of America today are Spanish speaking Latinos. Now, where can they go for the kind of theological education you would want your pastor to have? Because lots of them are pastors. People right. say, oh, they're all Roman Catholic. No, they're not. About half of them uh, are. Right. Half of them are evangelical, mostly charismatic, but evangelical. Right. So what would it take for us to provide theological education at the level that you and the quality that you would want your pastor to have, which I'm sure your pastor does have. Right. Okay. 
Well, it would take first, you'd have to teach it in Spanish. Mm -hmm. Imagine that. We're, okay. Right. There's not a whole lot of that going on. That's Certainly, right. in, you have to figure out how to do it more cheaply. Right. You'd have to make friends with the Spanish speaking community. That's the biggest problem right there. Right. Establish trust with Latinos in the United States of America. And, um, and so we wonder why it is that the barrios don't reflect our ethics and very much and don't reflect our concerns and our, and our priorities that would be typical of the PCA. Well, what are we doing to help their church leaders who are the key to reaching those communities? What are we doing to help them with understanding right. the Bible and theology? And the answer is, I nada. Not, yeah. Well, and to me, that seems like one of the great opportunities for, um, for the church and, and, and I particularly our, um, our tradition in the, in the next 15 to 20 years is if we can figure out a way to actually really equip, um, specifically the Latino, uh, community, we, we really, I mean, that, that is the continuation certainly for the PCA because we can't, our, our demographic, we are not going to have forever. We are not. And I'll tell you this, they're not all going to learn English. There's going to continue to be a need, a, lar a huge need for people who um, only speak Spanish well enough to study theology in Spanish. Uh, just take a look sometime at the Census Bureau um, surveys of this just even years ago. This is eight years ago now uh, that um, they asked the question on the census uh, what language do you speak at home and do you speak English well or not? Well, in the greater New York area, this is not including Newark where everybody just speaks Spanish and Portuguese. Nobody speaks English. Um, in, okay, in the boroughs, in other words, there were over a million and a half people who said on the census that they speak Spanish at home and they do not speak English well. What that means is you have church leaders who do not speak English well enough. Oh, yes, they can work in English and they can do tasks in English, but they don't speak English well enough to study the Bible and sound theology in English. Right. Well, if there's anything we should learn from the day of Pentecost for the Church of Jesus Christ, it is this. Language should never be a barrier to raising mm. up leaders of the body of Christ. Right. It's just a little bit of effort. It's not that hard. Right. That's a great point. That's so, well, I want to, I'm going to, uh, one last question and then okay. we'll, we'll actually wrap up with kind of our lighthearted question. But so, I mean, you've been there, you, you made the comment uh, earlier that, that third mill has a lot of wonderful employees that are, are high achieving. And, and I mean, they really, they, they're behind the vision. I mean, what I heard you saying was, yeah. and they're passionate about our vision and mission and, and they, they like to work and they're happy to, to work. So my hunch is, um, based on what I know of you, that that's, you're also much that way. Um, A little bit. and, uh, um, so one of my questions for you is how do you balance your time as, you know, I mean, one of the on the, the perpetual challenges for those who are pastoring, the, the, you know, your typical PCA church, but I think church leaders and those in ministry is is figuring out how to have that balance and and balancing and your your life and your time so that um, that you don't neglect your own soul while at the same time you don't coddle your own soul. Yeah, that's a great question. 
and how you don't neglect your family, for example. Mm -hmm. That's another big one, right? That's right. Um, because we can be so driven by ministry goals that we do become, as it were, uh, hyperactivists. Right. Always doing things, always, you know, thinking of the next trick in the back, in the box to pull out, next program, next meeting to go to, so on and so forth. So you can neglect your personal spiritual life and you can also neglect your personal relationships and your family and things like that, which again, just to harken back to what we said earlier, which is why in theological development or the development of leaders for the church, they've got to be trained in those areas. That's right. Okay? Um, but um, I think the answer, let's talk first about uh, activism. Um, I, I mean, the adage that I always use with my own life and with everything, even at Third Mill and with friends and used to give to students all the time is this, and that is that because the deck of life is always shifting, balance can be nothing more than momentary synchronicity. You want to write that mm, one down? That's right. That's right. Because the deck of life is always shifting, balance can be nothing more than momentary dis synchronicity. Now, right. moments can be long. They can be for periods of years. Right. But the idea is that the, the basic idea behind this is my life, your life, every pastor's, every church leader's life is changing all the time. Right. And so the balancing of these responsibilities you have in life um, is something that you can only do temporarily. It's not mm -hmm. like there's a right answer. Um, but I'll tell you this, and when it comes to family things especially, one of the critical pieces I would say um, in my own family that has worked. And it wasn't this way when I was 19 years old, I can tell you that, but through the years <laughs> it's become this way, that my wife and I are on the same page. Mm. In other words, she, many, many wives would not want their husband to travel four or five times a year, 60 times sometimes out of the country. They wouldn't want that. Right. My wife is a, is a um, works in the psychiatric department at the large hospital downtown in Orlando. So she's got a, like a megawatt career kind of thing that she does. Okay. Right. So she can't just take off and go to Indonesia when I go. Right. Okay. And she would like to do more of that. And we will do more of that as time permits. But again, that's a momentary synchronicity, a balance right. point. But see, it's not that there's tension between us on those things. Mm. If she were on this right now, what she would tell you is, I believe in what Richard's doing. And yeah, I'd like for him to have an eight to five job. Sure. At least for, well, COVID is, I think has told her that, that she really doesn't want that. <laughs> As we spent the last three months That's looking right. at each other in the house, she's, she's gone to the hospital, but I've been in the house. <laughs> so she, sort of, she sort of learned, well, maybe it wouldn't be idyllic for Richard to just have an eight to five job after all. That's right. Um, but she's never really felt that. You know, of course, you know, right. sometimes we think you feel that way but we're empty nesters. Right. So we spend a lot more time with our grandchildren who live um, almost a thousand miles away from us than most grandparents get with their grandchildren. Um, we spend a lot of time uh, with each other that most couples don't get to spend with each other, but it's, um, but the demands of the ministry are very hard and uh, are very consuming for me and for especially the leaders at Third Mill. And so we just push real hard to be careful that you momentarily balance things out in your life. If you right. have to push hard on one thing for a while, that's fine, but don't do it forever. Right. Uh, you have to take your PTO, for example. You have to take yes. it. Why? Because it's good for your mental health. It's good for your family. If when people leave the third mill office and they go off on a trip like me, uh, for every day you're gone, 
you get a half day off extra. And that time mm. has to be used for the personal refreshment and family refreshment. I mean, it's, it's like it's an expectation. You right. can't just use it to kind of sit around and do nothing or sneak in and do some more third mill work. Right. Uh, so we try to help people with that. But I think that's the answer. Figure mm. out life has seasons and uh, churches, churches have seasons. And right. you, you need to adjust the balance of your activities in life um, so that it's appropriate for the season that you're in, which can be a week or it can be a year or it can be right. five, 10 years. And I, that's the only advice I can give people. Not that I'm perfect in this, but the support of a spouse, the agreement of the spouse on those kinds of parameters is extremely important. No, I think that's absolutely right. Cause I think that, um, I think back just to my own marriage, 28 years of marriage and, um, that there have been seasons that I've worked really long hours and Stephanie has, has understood and been very supportive. Um, there are other seasons that I probably didn't even work as long of hours, but exactly. because of the dissidence between us, right. It was exactly. disruptive. Exactly. And, um, and so, you know, I think Lord willing, that's also 28 years in, I'm, I'm maybe making little baby little steps. Bit to- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, too. After over 40, I'm hoping I'm a little bit better at this at mind so, reading and things like that. Yeah. yeah. So, well, that's great. Well, okay. So, you know, we like to end all of our, um, interviews with some more lighthearted, uh, questions and kind of, uh, uh, so uh, we ask all of our guests these four questions uh, so that you can kind of answer them however you want. And the first one goes like this. If you could force every church leader in the PCA to read one book other than the scriptures, what would it be? Uh, it would be a book that I read just recently uh, by Matthew Newkirk, who is the president of the Presbyterian Seminary in Japan, a former student of mine, Matthew Newkirk. And the title of the book is Fill the Earth. And I like this book because Fill the Earth is the name of it. I like it because, uh, well, one, he mentions me. So, you know, what can you say? <laughs> and uh, he was, for a very short period of time, he was a student of mine my last year of teaching in seminary. But what he does is he, uh, he, kept, he does a greater, better job than I do at showing how the mission of the church, and that would be local as well as foreign missions, uh, that, the lo- that the mission of the church is rooted not in Genesis 12, verse 3, which is normal for missiologists, but rather right. it's rooted in Genesis chapter 1. Mm. And, it, uh, and it, so it goes all the way back to creation, what we are to be doing with our lives, who we are, why God made us, right. why we are in the world as we are. And uh, the, the first great commission, as I always say. That's right. It's right. right. And we often in our circles will separate the culture, so-called cultural mandate from the gospel mandate, but they are not separable. No. But and, that that uh, is the first great commission. The second great right. commission comes because we, we had we had the disruption of that's the fall right. in Genesis three. That's so he, right. he, he had to he had to reestablish it. <laughs> that's right. Sin has complicated our mission, but it is, right. but it did not start it. And so um, so the idea then is that uh, any church that would not be seeking to fill the earth is not being the church. Mm. That's the deal. Evangelism, uh, reaching out to the lost. adoption of children, raising your own children, having an outward focus in your church. And if the PCA churches don't start getting an outward focus, we are doomed to be non-existent. And if you don't think that the PCA can be non-existent, go to Turkey and see what happened to the apostolic churches. You can't find them. Okay. So I hate to tell people this as much as the PCA is my mother and, um, 
and I love the PCA and I'm part of it voluntarily, we need to realize that we have got to start reaching out. And so this book will fill you with, um, with new energy for that, I hope. Okay. That, thank you. That's great. So, all right. Second question. At the end of a long day of serving uh, there at Third Mill, what is your guilty pleasure food? <laughs> the food? Yeah. Um, when I'm really feeling down, it will be um, Cheetos. Mm-hmm. Next is uh, Doritos. And I'm feeling okay. a little holier. <laughs> okay. Feeling a little more holy than that. Um, I would say it would be um, diet popcorn. How's that? Okay. All right. So, so here's one of the, the you know, an insider, uh, inside baseball. What, what's the, what has been your favorite location for general assembly that you've attended? <laughs> Orlando, because it was easy for me to get there. <laughs> and I could go home at night. <laughs> All right. Great. Last question. What is your uh, hobby or favorite activity to do to relax and, and get your mind off of uh, ministry? Netflix. Mm-hmm. What are you currently watching? Oh, I watch everything you can name. Uh, okay. I, and some of the, some of them I shouldn't tell you about. <laughs> I don't watch anything that my wife doesn't watch with me. How's that? Okay. Is there you go. Enough? I can, so that's that. I, I, there's that's good accountability there. There's, and, uh, there's, there's good, no, good accountability. I I, at times I will write, I will watch documentaries and things like that. And they're very, and we do, we don't just do Netflix, but I'm talking about uh-huh. online cinema. And um, um, there have been some really good things, even on um, the church and even on church history and things like that, that I find fascinating because they're usually from a secular point of view. Right. Yes. I always find that fascinating yeah. too. So, uh, yeah, we watched, um, the, we just recently watched the movie um, uh, oh, uh, Parasite and um, fascinating. I don't know if oh, you know. Interesting. It, it, My granddaughter just asked me if we could watch it last night. Did you watch it? No, not yet. Um, she's 20. Should I watch it? You know, you should. It's, um, it's rated R, um, but uh, you should. Um, it, there is no redemption. So, I mean, it's, it's a movie to watch, to discuss. Um, the, the, um, the producer is a guy who's actually, he is an outspoken um, nihilist so i mean he he definitely he's embracing that worldview and and it comes out loud and clear wow. in in the movie um what's fascinating to me is how popular it, it and all the awards that it 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 won um so anyhow it in that sense because of its cultural um impact yeah. is probably worth you know, uh, it was not a movie I enjoyed watching with, uh, I watched it with my 17 year old, my 19 year old while we were on vacation. Okay. And so had a, had a good conversation about it. Um, so yeah. So yeah. Well, Richard, thank you so much, uh, for your, uh, for being with us today. It really, every time, uh, I'm, I'm with you, you're both an encouragement, a challenge, um, it's, it's a blessing and delight. I'm grateful for your ministry to the church and, and for the Lord's uh, kindness to the church and uh, to, to calling you to himself and having you use your gifts for. Uh, it's been a great privilege to be with you. And I, I appreciate the opportunity sincerely. So, thank you very much. So, yeah. You, well, thank you. Uh, and thank you for listening to the PCA Church Leader Podcast. Uh, thanks to PCA Retirement Benefits uh, for sponsoring the show. And you can find 
uh, past episodes of the show available on iTunes. And like I said at the beginning, please help us out and make sure to, to leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. Uh, and we'll be back next week with another episode and all new guests. I'm Ed Dunnington. We'll talk with you then. This podcast is brought to you by PCA Retirement and Benefits, Inc., known to many as RBI. RBI helps church workers and their families reach their financial goals. The financial planners at RBI sit down with pastors and church staff to examine their compensation and retirement contributions. They assemble plans that help pastors get on track and stay on track for a successful retirement. You don't have to be an ordained pastor to benefit from their services. They work with youth directors, worship leaders, administrative staff, Christian schools, and others providing free financial services. Their representatives have all worked in church settings and are able to relate to church staff members and their families. You can visit us at pcarbi.org to learn more about how RBI can help you and your family.